Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast with your host, Adam McAtee. This podcast provides you the tools and confidence to become a fearless and evidence-based Pilates instructor, which is exactly why we're going to dive right in. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode one of the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast. And today, we are going to be discussing uh, what it means to become an evidence-based Pilates instructor with your host, uh, myself, Adam uh, McAtee. And my hopes for this podcast is to, one, for me to just be myself and, and, and share my experiences, but most of all, to help inspire you, the Pilates instructor, to become just more curious, um, just maintaining a sense of being informed and becoming a fearless instructor. So then when you go into the studio, you feel inspired and you can help as many people as possible because that, that's what, what, really, uh, what really matters in our field is helping the people that we work with while keeping our own cups full um, in the process. Uh, with it being the first episode, I just feel like it's appropriate to introduce myself. Um, and it, it, it'll be like elevator pitch, don't worry. This is not going to be uh, 25 minutes of me talking about myself. Uh, <laughs> but for those that are, that are unaware, um, right now at the, the time of this recording in, what, 2023, um, I, am, uh, I live in Long Beach, California, so that's where I, I reside. Uh, I work for uh, Breathe Education. Right, so I'm, I'm the product lead for the Diploma of Clinical Pilates, where it's a year-long program. We take people through an incredible journey to um, become confident in anatomy uh, and rehab uh, within, uh, within the Pilates scope of practice. And I'm also the founder of Evidence-Based Pilates, which is an online Pilates education platform that provides you um, classes, courses, and uh, coming up in about the next month, we're going to have a membership to allow you to, to um, have a structure to become an evidence-based Pilates instructor, because I think that's really lacking um, in our field, and I'm excited to be a part of that solution um, in the ongoing growth of our industries, both as, a, as an individuals and, and just collectively as well. Um, so I have a background in both like classical and contemporary Pilates, and I think that really gives me a nice uh, perspective on, um, on just the scope of the industry. And I've, I've also uh, stepped outside of Pilates and uh, earned a bachelor's in exercise science from Cal State University of Long Beach. And I am at the, I'm currently a student at um, the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences uh, studying physical therapy. So a year from now, I'll be a doctor in physical therapy as well. Um, and that's my, that, that is my elevator pitch. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to adding some value uh, to, to the industry and, and hopefully to your life um, as, as, an, as a listener. Uh, so with that, like an evidence-based Pilates instructor, uh, like what is that? Like I'll never forget the last time I worked in a, 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 a small uh, studio, like, like a boutique studio, uh, there was like a little meet and greet. And, and uh, I think it was like eight, I don't know, what, six instructors or something? And uh, we, we were supposed to go around the room and the question was, are you classical or contemporary? And within that, like there's, um, there's a, there's like a bias question. Like, like there's only two options, right? It's like, are you Republican or Democrat? Like it's, it's like, it's like that kind of question in Pilates that I think it's so weird and unnecessary. Uh, Cause like you can just be both and enjoy both if you want to. And like, we can all be friends. Um, so, so I sat there and I answered the question that I am an evidence-based Pilates instructor. And it was like a ghost town. <laughs> it was like, <gasps> 
what is that, right? And, and that was just a really informative moment that it, it, is, it is something that is not uh, as present as, as it should be. Uh, and I'm excited to be a part of that growth. But like an evidence-based Pilates instructor just means that you work from like within a scope of evidence-based practice and then you apply that to Pilates. So an evidence-based practice would be like an accumulation or, or like a combination of uh, your personal experiences um, as a practitioner. So if you're a Pilates instructor for a month, uh, for a year, five years, 10 years, like your experience matters, right? It's, it's in there. And then what else is in there is also like your client's experiences and like their preferences. So, um, so having your client be a part of that experience as well. And then also um, being informed by research and being informed by evidence. And I think that's the part that kind of separates an evidence-based Pilates instructor from, um, from any like, like background of just um, insert this kind of Pilates instructor, classical Pilates instructor, contemporary Pilates instructor, or something that like I'm, I'm not even informed of, right? Because it's 100% possible. There could be another genre. I have no, no knowledge of it, so please uh, please let me know if I missed one. Um, so, so I'm not gonna go into like the classical or contemporary conversation because I think it's really boring. Uh, and sorry if you really like the conversation, I, I just feel like it goes nowhere, right? You end, like no one changes their mind. Like no classical instructor is in the conversation and it's like, huh, now I'm a contemporary instructor or uh, I've changed my mind and vice versa. Uh, so I don't really wanna, yeah, I'm, it's, it's kind of boring. But for, uh, for an evidence-based instructor, I, I, would like, I would say that we like to play in the gray, right? You can be of any background. You can, you can uh, be a, a, a Romana instructor and really, really inspired by the, by the work of Romana and do incredible things. And then you can do that. In addition, you can also read research or be exposed to research, um, you know, have evidence-based uh, friends or be on email lists or whatever it is and update what you're currently doing. And then I think that's a really key word with this, is just like the, the cognitive agility to update the way you, you teach and not be offended by it, right? Or, or angry at it and, and things of that nature. And same with contemporary, right? Maybe you're like a Bassi instructor or a Stott instructor. What else, like there's Polestar, there's Balanced Body. I, I think they identify as contemporary, I don't know. Um, anyways, you're from this like insert school and you learn these things, right? Maybe you learn like we need to be in neutral spine and you need to engage TA, your transversus abdominis. I'll try not to talk in acronyms. TA is transversus abdominis. Um, so you need to engage your transversus abdominis and neutral spine to um, stabilize, right? And, and that's gonna help us absorb forces when you move your extremities or, or it's protective for a bulging disc. I don't know, whatever the claim is, right? So then we have that information and we teach like that for years. I actually was one, I, I, I use that example because I did it, right? Guilty. And if, and, and if you're still doing it, like, no, you're not hurting anyone, you're fine. Um, but I just want to invite you into a conversation to consider that there could also be um, other ways that are just as correct um, and, and informed. So, um, so the idea of like, you know, we go from this like neutral spine thing and then there's literature, then what we, what we really need to do with like evidence is like, where did this start, <laughs> right? Where, where did this idea come from that like we need to be in a neutral spine and engage transverse abdominis to then, you know, avoid injury, right? Or like move quote unquote better. And, and part of that is like, if you're aware, there's, um, there were pig spine studies in the 1990s, like mid 1990s, where they put like um, dead pig spines, Okay, like pig, sorry, pig cadavers is a better word. 
and then they put them in a jig and they bent them right in different directions and they but they did it they was, it was either 26,000 or 86,000 a shit ton right so they bent them a lot forward and back forward and back forward and back for a 24-hour period and then they found out like at what um like what was the result of that for example so uh they found that when you bent at full range right for like tens uh, yeah tens of thousands of times uh, in a 24-hour period you're more likely to get a bulging disc but then if you stayed in neutral you didn't get a bulging disc what they didn't tell you is that you just get a different kind of injury <laughs> you, you you get an end plate uh, fracture so um so then the idea was like oh we need to stay in neutral to avoid bulging discs because bulging discs are more are quite prevalent in um just in society and so then we take that and we and we, we create exercises that are designed um, around that but the problem with that is that well like i'm not in neutral spine right now sitting um, there's also clear evidence that shows we can't even assess neutral spine. So like, even if it was a solution, we can't see it, right? We, we can feel really confident in seeing it, right? But we, they, they've shown studies where they, they put like, um, you know, they have like, um, like people that are trained in lifting and like, like squats and stuff like that. And they have trained physios watch their alignment while doing squats. And they say, okay, uh, go ahead and tell me when this lifter, right, this person lifting, is out of neutral, right? When you go, because when you go down, uh, when you squat, you eventually do like what they call the butt wink, which is the posterior tilt of the pelvis, and you flex your lumbar spine. It's like normal human kinematics, normal human movement. And uh, we, it's even trained physios, right? For those in the States, physios, physical therapists. Um, so I'll try to translate that the best I can. But you, you actually can't see um, the, the spine move before, or the lumbar spine, not the spine, the lumbar spine move into flexion before 35 degrees. That's massive, right? That's like going from vertical and then like halfway to the floor, right? Because to the floor would be 90 degrees, okay? Halfway is 45. That's, that's a lot, <laughs> right? And then so like that tells us like we can't even stay neutral. Okay, uh, I know it's a little bit of like a rabbit hole with like neutral spine and stuff, uh, which should be its own episode. But if we think about this, like, okay, so I'm teaching neutral and part of teaching neutral is confirming that someone's in neutral spine and also confirming when they're out of it. And, and but I, but we can't see it, like even in a squat before 35 degrees. But that doesn't mean we can't feel confident about it, right? We can be super confident about it and then we can confirm with our client and then we're like, all right, we agree that that's neutral. That's just agreeing. <laughs> that does that, that has nothing to do with you being correct. That just means you think you're correct. And I'm totally guilty of this. Like I've, I've done it. I see it all the time, like I've done it and we're not doing any harm. But the point with that is that it puts this rule into question and that's where we have a decision. Are we willing to update our thought processes? Are we willing to update or to change the way that we teach based off of more information? Or are we uh, staying uh, quote unquote loyal to whoever taught us originally? And it's really, really interesting conversation. And, and, there's, and, and we're all trying to do our best and there's no like demonization or anything. I'm just like 
trying to highlight and ask like provocative questions in a heartfelt way. So with that, you know, the question is like, are we willing to update our information, right? And do you need your, do you need your original program to update their information for you to update your information, right? Because sometimes, like, and I've totally been like this, like, there's, there's a respect that you get, right? Like someone like trained you for a year or six months, however long your program is, even a weekend, right? I won't talk about weekend programs, I have thoughts on that. Um, but <laughs> let's just say like, like a year or six months, right? They trained you and they brought you from like this little like baby person who's like, I don't know how to teach. And then you like, you leave the program, you learn so much stuff, you probably cry a little bit. I cried in Pilates training program, uh, which is also unnecessary. And then you like you become this instructor, and 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 you you have like love and respect for a lot. Not I know it doesn't work out that way for everyone, but you have like love and respect for your your course, and you want to show that respect by teaching what they taught you, right? And it's really well-meaning. And then there's this thing of like, well, they taught me neutral spine, and they had these reasons, and now this this person on the internet. <laughs> is asking me to like to not right or to not care that much about neutral spine and has information that's conflicting with what my instructor taught me okay. and then we have this decision right and what I want to highlight is that updating your thoughts and updating your practice is not disrespect to to the people that taught you previously Right? Like how awful, like, like how awful would it be if like you've been teaching Pilates for 20 years and you never changed, like never, like you, you just kept teaching the same stuff over 20 years. What if your doctor, right, went to, I, I don't know, like they went to UCLA and they graduated in 1985 and they respect their instructors. And so when new research came out to be like, hey, like this is how you save someone from a heart attack now. And they were like, nope. Mm, that's not what they taught me in med school, right? That'd be awful. Okay? And, 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 and I just want to draw that parallel to being like, well, the medical field should update their information, uh, which is like its own separate conversation. And, and, so, and so can we. And, and you don't need anyone's permission for that, right? And it's not disrespectful to go ahead and, and, and update the information. And that's where I want to present the idea of becoming an evidence-based Pilates instructor. And that is that you're not attached uh, to any idea. You know, you can like something, you can have a bias towards something. I definitely have a bias. I have a bias to loading it, right? Which actually isn't always the answer, even though I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of how a bias works, right? Like I don't like it, so get some bias. So, so we, you know, we're just, we remain flexible and when new information comes out, we do our best to, to consider what it has to say and then update our practices as we see fit. Okay. Um, a good example of that is the hypertrophy continuum. This came out in, what, 2021, okay, is uh, Brad Schoenfield, uh, released a paper, well, Brad Schoenfield at et al. Okay, I'll put it in the show notes, uh, paper. Um, so, so before, uh, the hyper hypertrophy, uh, for one, is that that just means uh, increased muscle mass. It's not the same thing as strength. Um, by increased muscle mass, we mean the muscle's bigger. However, there's a correlation between bigger muscle and stronger muscle. Like, I think anyone knows that, right? Like, 
Um, but so anyways, so there used to be this thought that um, there's a hypertrophy range for uh, repetitions, right? Like if you did like underneath six repetitions, I think it's like that's for strength, which still kind of holds true. Um, and then I think hypertrophy was like, I might be wrong in my numbers, forgive me. Like it's like eight, between eight to 12 repetitions, right? You should hit failure or really close to it for hypertrophy. And then above that does not give you hypertrophic responses. Meaning that if you went above like 12 reps, like a lot of what we do in Pilates, you wouldn't fail to like 32 reps. Um, that doesn't give you hypertrophy. That was the previous hypertrophy um, thoughts or ideas based on literature. And, and, and that was what was taught for years, right? And, and, and if you didn't quite catch that or that was um, confusing, another way of saying that is if the load in an exercise is so light that you cannot, like that, that if it's so light that you can do like 20 of them, it's not gonna build more muscle, right? It's too light. That's what the previous hypertrophy um, information was suggesting. And also it's from the same author, right? And now, uh, 2021, they did more research because that's how science works. We keep asking questions, we keep learning more and then adjusting as, um, as we see fit. And it turns out that you can build muscle mass at any repetition range, right? You can do like 57 reps of, of a given exercise and you can build just as much hypertrophy as if you only could do 10 of them. However, huge asterisk is that you have to have the intensity high enough. So it changes our perspective, right? So if you've been teaching like the hypertrophy range is from eight to 12 reps and then this paper comes out, right? If you are um, not, like if you're not interested in evidence, you will discard it. And you'll be like, I'm not interested in that because that's, that's like inconvenient for me um, and my current beliefs. So you, te you keep teaching the same thing. And when you're teaching the same thing, you're still helping people, right? You're still like a really good person, right? There's just a blind spot and we all have our blind spots. I may have said something earlier in this podcast and I look back at it every year and I'm like, whoa, blind spot, right? Or you like email me and you're like, hey, I got a blind spot in here. We all have them. So if we're ignoring evidence that suggests other things, strong evidence, right? That's a blind spot or that's a, that's a lack of agility cognitively. And so for in this example, right, we can now change the way we train in that we can identify that as long as the intensity is high enough, we can build muscle in people. So even like something like Pilates, Pilates is hard to build, like it's hard to do really high load and low reps, especially on the lower extremities, meaning that the springs sometimes like they're just not enough load. Like I, for, for example, I'm not here to brag about myself, right? There's lots of things I can't do, but like I can do like footwork on all springs. I can bang out like 30 reps, right? It's just like, you're not gonna get me under 10 for my legs. It's not gonna happen. Uh, not, not at this age at least, <laughs> maybe over time, but not right now. So like, it's just like, I need something different um, for that. So previously I'd be like, well, I can't build hypertrophy on a reformer with, for, my, for my quads because I can do more than eight, I can do more than 12 reps, right? Or my client can do more than 12 reps. I stopped talking about myself, uh, so narcissistic. So my client could do more than 12 reps. Well, actually now, if your client could just keep going on one-legged footwork, you can just go until they're like tired as shit they can't open the bed anymore or they're, they're like pretty much at it, even if it's like 25 reps, right? And you can still build muscle in that leg. Okay? 
So, um, so that's just an example, right? The, the hypertrophy continuum is a really good example of just the fitness industry of how it's important to remain cognitively agile. And we can embed that in the Pilates industry. And you don't have to identify as a Pilates, as an evidence-based Pilates instructor. Like, it, it, like I would love it, right? I think that's really um, informative and I think it's really, really helpful. But I just, all I'm asking, or, or I'm not really asking, all I'm suggesting is that it could be powerful for your clients uh, to allow, like, like for their instructor, for your client's instructor to be informed by, by literature. And, and it's not like um, replacing anything, too, right? And I think that's really big, is that like adding more information isn't a threat to your previous experiences. Oh, that's good, right? So adding more information is not a threat to your previous experiences. Right? This is additive, right? Because your, your experience is part of that evidence-based practice. It's your experience, it's your client's experience, and, and research. Okay? Like mush them together in the best shape possible for your client on a given day. Right? So reading a paper on like the hypertrophy continuum is not a threat to the way you teach chest expansion. But it can inform you that if you're teaching chest expansion, and you have a client who's like, who has a goal of increasing their strength and or their muscle mass. Because sometimes people like, they wanna be strong, but it's actually more value. Like, and, and I'm not saying this is a thing that like is important, but sometimes if people just look stronger, they feel stronger, right? Like they feel better. So like building a little bit of muscle mass can be really, um, how do you say, enlightening for the person. Right, they feel like they're seeing more results. Um, so I'm just putting a thing out there where it's like, hey, hypertrophy could be helpful for someone. Um, and you can totally discard that comment if, you, if you'd like, <laughs> it's not important. But point being is that if you wanna get that response, like, hey, hypertrophy could be kinda good for this person or they want it, you can now make a better decision, right? So now are you stopping the exercise because they lost their form? quote unquote, like they lost their form. That's how I used to do it, right? You lost your form, so we're no longer getting stronger. That's, that's not a thing, right? That's aesthetics, right? That's, it looks different. Um, but for hypertrophy, you actually want the intensity to be so high enough that the individual can, is almost at failure. So they, they literally can't pull the straps anymore, which tells you nothing about how it looks, right? Which is which kind of like the, the difference between like, am I teaching for aesthetics or teaching for function? And so if you're coming from an evidence-informed evidence um, perspective and you're looking for a given response, you're going to allow, uh, like, let's say the given response is hypertrophy, you're going to allow the evidence on hypertrophy to then influence your decision-making. You see? It, but it, but it's, not, it's not a hierarchy. Right, of like this is better or not, it's just creating informed decisions. Um, and with that, um, one thing that I, um, a good question to ask, right, is like, well, okay, this sounds interesting, but like, where the, like how, how the hell do I get started? <laughs> right, like, where is this information? How do I find it? What do I do? Um, just like anything else, like, it's a skill, it's a skill, and it takes time. Uh, to, to allow yourself to be immersed um, into uh, applying evidence into your practice. 
And, and one thing that I'd, I'd recommend is just like, especially if you're on like social media, just like follow pages that are from uh, evidence-based evidence uh, movement practitioners, right? That could be like a physiotherapist, like a Greg Lehman or an Adam Meekins or a Ben Cormack. Um, and there's, there's like, you know, thousands of others. Those are just ones that are coming to my mind right now. Or honestly, like, like following journals, okay? Following journals that, because what they'll do is they'll be like, hey, here's a top 10, um, you know, uh, articles from this month. And it's like on your feed. Okay? I'm, talking, I'm talking about like, go follow like the British Journal of Sports Medicine or get on their email list, things like that. Meaning you want different prompts in your life like an email pops in and it's like hey here's some evidence that you could apply to your practice or um you know you're scrolling through instagram and you're like oh my god cat book <laughs> cat videos really funny oh there's my friend janet and then it's like oh there's jospt that's talking about hamstring strains oh i have a client with a hamstring strain that'd be really interesting to read okay like that's that's one way uh to, to do it and that's just like great gradual exposure um, then, you know, of course, um, taking, uh, taking workshops and taking courses that are informed on evidence. And, and the way that I would, that's, that's tricky to go about that because it'll be like, you know, plant, or Pilates for plantar fasciitis. And then like you go to the workshop and it's like just there's no evidence presented. Like you, like you, you don't know. So one thing that I would recommend is to, whenever you like look at a course that like looks super interesting, um, contact the author, right? Or the presenter, whatever like title they have, contact them and be like, hey, like, um, you know, really interested in your workshop, seems really cool. Um, like, I've, are you able to provide like a reference list of, of the references that you use to, to inform the information? Um, and, and a lot of times people will, right? If they have it, it's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Like, you can contact me anytime. I'll provide you a reference list. There's references in any, any course I'll, I ever present. Um, and if they don't have references, right, like, oh, I don't have that, then that tells you that it's not an evidence-based um, workshop, which doesn't mean you shouldn't take it. I'm not bashing it at all. But if you, were, but if you wanted to take evidence-based courses, that's a really uh, easy way to go about it, right? Just ask them. You know what? You know what evidence do you use? Do you have a reference list? Um, could you give me an example of like a systematic review or high quality evidence that that you used? Okay. Um, so with that, I hope that gets you started. I hope I hope that this has been a fruitful episode for you. Uh, we are going I, we are going to have freaking awesome time in this podcast. I'm going to be sharing uh, specific papers uh, to help you remain informed. I will be discussing uh, uh, industry. Uh, concepts that are super, super helpful. And of course, I'm going to have uh, guests on so we can go ahead and dive in and hear just multiple perspectives on a given topic. But I hope that you enjoyed uh, the first episode uh, discussing how to become an evidence-based Pilates instructor. And I will see you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode and in return, I would love it if you could leave a positive review so that I know that you're listening and benefiting from this podcast. I do this 100% for free from my spare time and I just want to help the Pilates industry learn and grow and when reviews grow on a podcast, they become more visible and therefore more helpful to the community. 
Um, as always, you're welcome to, to reach out to me personally as well for any of your thoughts, as well as a request for future episodes. And of course, if you'd like to learn more, you are welcome to go to the Evidence-Based Pilates platform with the link in my bio and browse any of the courses that we have to offer. Uh, have an incredible day.